Thursday, June 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Welcome to Comey Free Radio. The only place that's Comey Free today. I think I think we are the only place that is Comey Free. And now free. it's not free of Comey. You've ruined it for everybody. We're just letting people know, like, oh, I wonder if they're going to talk about Comey. No, we're not. No, we're going to talk about not talking about him. Exactly. We're going to talk about uh, the latest earnings from Vail Resorts, J.M. Smucker. we got to start with the news ferry, though. Uh, the news ferry dropped off a little something in the form of Nordstrom shares, up more than 10% today on the reports that the Nordstrom family is basically sick and tired of the public markets and are considering taking the company private. Which, good for them, because if I... I I don't know how many people are in the Nordstrom family, how many people have a seat at the table, but if I were one of the cousins or brothers or whatever, I would absolutely be saying, you know what, let's get out of here. Let's, how much money do we need to raise? Let's figure that out, and let's become private. Let's take our ball and go home, exactly. you're saying. Yeah. Well, I think- They run a good business. <laughs> they run a good business, but the math, okay- there's a lot of problems in retail right now, and mall-based retail in particular. And Nordstrom's is right in the middle of that. And it's not suffering as badly as the competition. It, it isn't shutting down things as fast as it can, like Sears and Macy's and, and others that you might find at, at the mall. Uh, but it's also not growing, and it becomes a very difficult thing for... Uh, investors to value when it's not a growth company and it's not particularly a value company either. And so there aren't that many uh, people interested in owning something which may be stagnant for a long period of time in terms of earnings. Uh, that still has great value, something that can spin off cash, and th they may find that they can realize more cash by owning it than by owning just a uh, portion of it. Okay. So you've you've temp you've tempered my enthusiasm. Your enthusiasm was for who? Was for Nordstrom to take their ball and go home. Then now you want to own it. Now you want to buy some. Uh, I'm not saying that either. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I you know it's it's a reminder. And I I was thinking about this earlier this week um, on the news that um, sticking in apparel retail, Mickey Drexler, who ran the Gap for so many years and ran it successfully. For so many years, if you were a shareholder of the Gap when Mickey Drexler was running it, you did just fine. Thank you very much. But he uh, went over to J. Crew. That's a company that's been private for a while, and he—I uh, guess it was announced earlier this week that he's stepping down uh, as, I guess, as CEO, and he's just going to remain on as chairman. But the the J. Crew story is a reminder that just because you go private doesn't mean that everything is amazing once you go private. You still have to execute, and in the case of J. Crew, they struggled to do that. It's not like, for example, Dell, which every report I've seen about Dell since they've gone private is that being out of the glare of the public markets has really helped Dell a great deal. And I think that if Nordstrom is to actually make this move, first they're going to have to raise a bunch of money because this is a seven and a half billion dollar company, and I think the family owns. Somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty percent. I think thirty percent is right. Yeah, so they'll they'll have to raise a lot of money if they want to make this work. Well, the so the last few years here are here's the sequence of net income 
for the company. 735 million, 734, 720, 600, 354, um, and over the last uh, 12 months, uh, 371. So I, they're making about half as much money today as they were just four years ago. And as you can imagine, the market isn't terribly enthusiastic about bidding up uh, shares of such uh, a story. And they, they may have a vision for how this is going to be uh, a, a good, very profitable company run in a certain way that they just can't provide in, in a package that the market is, is uh, going to find very expensive. And they may find the prices of the stock today to be uh, attractive. If they can borrow some money uh, and then sort of go behind the scenes and not have to publicly explain every store closing or store opening or whatever it may be, uh, it, it may just be a more enjoyable life for them uh, and more profitable, maybe. But obviously, those numbers can't keep going in that direction for too right. terribly much longer. And you've got reports coming out uh, within the last week or two. Credit Suisse uh, predicting that uh, one out of every four or one out of every five malls that are open today will be closed by 2020, I think, or within the next five years or something like that. And you're not seeing a lot of retail stocks bucking the, the pessimism um, that is embedded in that pro projection. You think that number is high, one in five, or do you think it's... I think they've spent more time thinking about it than I have, um, but it seems... Given the number of anchor stores that are closing, and the announcements seem to come out, uh, you know, if if not every week, uh, close enough about another hundred stores being shut by Sears or Macy's or uh, the various other chains out there uh, that are anchoring these things, uh, that's a that's a huge huge problem. And you've got uh, projections that online is going to, which still is only about one. I, I want to say like one sixth, one seventh of the, the total market for retail sales is just going to keep going in the same direction it's been going. And that that is a bad equation for uh, for retail. And, and Nordstrom, apparently, if they want to take this private, uh, thinks they've got a better solution than, than others out there. Let's move on to Vail Resorts. Company management said they were pleased with their third quarter results. Based on the reaction of the stock, it appears that investors disagree ever so slightly. The stock down a couple percent. I'm wondering if this just has nothing to do with the actual results and maybe more to do with the valuation of this company, because this is a stock that's up close to 60% over the last year. And Vail Resorts has done a really great job of. You look over the last few years, the way Vail Resorts has acquired new properties and turned them into profitable enterprises. It's pretty impressive what they've done. Yeah, they've both made acquisitions, and as you say, uh, the stock is up uh, not only 60% in the last year, but 43% uh, a year over the last three years, 36% a year over the last five years. So, just maintaining <laughs> Uh, That's insane. Yeah, I, this this <laughs> company has delivered on, uh, and and it's part of the general trend, which we'll talk about regarding th this. Sort of links into uh, we we're just talking about Nordstrom's uh, retail not doing so well, 
uh, purchasing and, and big ticket spending has to a degree shifted to experiences over possessions. And uh, Vail is on the right side of that equation and Nordstrom's is on the wrong side of that, that equation. And uh, as you get to know more about your customers, which Vail has, has invested a lot into just getting to know how to get their customers out more, how to get them to buy passes that will cover more of their uh, slopes because they've got uh, pres uh, properties uh, mostly in the West, but in a number of different states. And the more that they can get people to visit more of their properties by having a pass that uh, allows them access to, to more of them and, and get them out on the slopes more, a lot of their success is just based on knowing their customers better. Well, and it's funny because there there was a point in time not too long ago where there were analysts looking at Vail Resorts, and part of their case was, we don't think that they can get people to their properties when it's not winter. And that's just, you know, that's just one more thing that they have done well over the last five to ten years. Yeah, uh, more use of the slopes for mountain biking and things like that. Over the summer, uh, a lot of these places are places you'd love to be in the summer. And uh, just getting the facilities uh, arranged so that people have a reason to do something other than look at bare slopes uh, has been an achievement for them. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a remarkable stock story. It's, it's quadrupled in the last uh, four years. So... They are getting it done. Uh, they're using that additional cash to buy additional properties. Uh, and so there's a bit of a network effect uh, to a degree as well in just having uh, cornered, not cornered the market, but um, they've got a lot of the premier ski facilities in the U.S. at this point. Smucker's fourth quarter report uh, profits uh, were higher than expected. They beat on revenue. They're cutting costs why is this stock down today? Every everything about this report is pretty much what you want to see from a staple producer like J.M. Smucker. Yeah, it's so net sales were off one percent from the year ago quarter, and profits were off two percent. Uh, they did beat expectations, but they're selling a story now understandably, of cost-cutting much more than of increased sales. And they've got a, a lot of number one brands. They are sort of equally divided, the business. Biggest coffee roaster in the, in the country, actually. Yeah, that, you mentioned that to me the other day. I, what are they roasting? Folgers. Uh, is Folgers the number one selling coffee in the country? I, or are they just last roasting I checked it. In, in, in <laughs> last I checked, it still was uh, in terms of volume, and uh, they also do the Dunkin' Donuts um, coffee that's in grocery stores. They roast it. They are they're they're doing the Dunkin' Donuts distribution and and are responsible for the packaging and roasting and well, they're doing God's work. Then. And Dunkin' Donuts gets just, just throws the, the its brand out there. Uh, so. Uh, that's the the second biggest thing, and they're available in K cups and and in large packages. They also have Cafe Bustello, which is their more premium brand than those other two. And you combine everything together, and they're the number one coffee roaster in, the, in America. They're uh, equal pa parts that and pet food um, and pet snacks. Don't forget the jam. 
and then uh, packaged goods, and that's uh, jams and the Jif peanut butter and some of the Pillsbury brands. Interestingly, Pillsbury is actually both General Mills and um, Smuckers, little known fact. How does that work? Or I guess I should say, why does that work? Why uh, would you well, do so that? it was all General Mills, and I don't remember what General Mills acquired, but as part of the antitrust, they had to spin off a number of the things that Pillsbury does, but not all of them. Does so it, the Pillsbury Doughboy works for uh, two companies. <laughs> <laughs> He's always working for Pillsbury. He's always working for Pillsbury, but he's splitting but, his. Yeah, it's sometimes like, it's Smucker, sometimes he's it's like General Jack Mills. Dorsey. I spend part of my time <laughs> at Square and part of my time at Twitter, and uh, you know, you know what? Pillsbury Doughboy is doing a better job than Jack Dorsey these days. Yeah, and sometimes he, you know, shows up in the Ghostbusters movies. Well, you know that backstory. Right? I do know that backstory. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know where I learned that backstory? From me? Uh, no, just down the street at the uh, the, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Well, now you have to tell the story. Well, it's for... it's basically that at Ghostbusters, they uh, spoiler alert, but you know what? The movie came out in the eighties, so everyone should know this. It by won't now. spoil it. It won't spoil it. So at the at the end of Ghostbusters, the, the original, the original what? I mean, come on, we're not talking about. Come on, we're talking about this is Ghostbusters. <laughs> we're talking about. Of course, we're talking about the original. Uh, I don't know. You might have some millennial that's uh, listening to this, don't you think? One or two out of the dozens. Yeah, I'm, no, we have millennial listeners, but I don't think if if you just say, "Well, I was uh, I was watching Ghostbusters," I don't think that they're automatically thinking the one that came out last year. Maybe they are. I don't know. Kids these days. What are you? Who do? knows? Um, so the climactic scene with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, the gigantic Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, the creators of the movie they wanted that to be the Pillsbury Doughboy. And whoever, I guess General Mills at the time, whoever was in charge said, we can't tarnish our amazing brand of the Pillsbury Doughboy by putting him in your movie and making him a gigantic evil character. And boy, did they blow that one. <laughs> and, yet, and yet the Doughboy is still getting it done. He's still getting you know, it done. Elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we got off topic there somehow. I think we were talking about Smucker and all the brands. And, and you were talking about how Pillsbury split between General Mills. A and lot Smucker. of brands. And uh, so it's, it's like 29% uh, uh, pet food and pet snacks, milk bones, meow mix, and um, then all the Pillsbury and the other uh, Smuckers, Jif, many other brands, and, uh, and the coffee. And so... They've all of these things are under pressure as uh, not not the kind of retail pressure that um, we see at the malls, but consumer staples have been suffering. The the brands are losing um, market share to private label in a lot of cases, and they while Smuckers does have the number one brand in a lot of places, uh, they are losing pricing power. You can't just keep raising prices anymore, uh, given the success of private private label in a lot of stores and so they don't have the ability to just keep raising prices of course if in, on the domestic side you've only got the population growing at about seven tenths of a percent a year so uh, people aren't really eating more and if you're not growing market share um, then you're you're looking at a very very low uh, growth rate, uh, and if you can't raise prices, you're looking at no growth rate, and that is close to what they are doing right now. But they're quite profitable, and they're able to take those profits and do one of four things: they can acquire more brands, 
um, at which they just picked up Wesson, and they can pay down their debt, uh, which they took on a lot of debt to buy uh, the pet food business, and they can uh, pay dividends, and, and then they can just uh, try to grow things organically. So they got a lot of different capital allocation choices, and they use little of all of them, uh, but uh, that does drive some earnings per share growth, but not not terribly impressive earnings per share growth. So the stock, if you own Smucker, you've, you've over the last five years, it's basically tracked the market over. You widen that out to ten years, and it's a it's a pretty solid market beater. I'm curious though because they've got all these brands, they are very focused on North America. They've got a bunch of brands that are allocated towards Canada, but you know it's it's the U.S. and Canada. Given how well they have managed these brands, is there ever any talk about expanding to brands in Europe, to other parts of the planet, or or is part of the reason they've been successful in managing their brands is they have stuck close to home? Uh, so they've got a. Uh about uh, one billion a year in sales uh, internationally. So there's a lot of room to grow. To grow, forty percent of that it comes from Canada. So they really haven't moved, as you say, beyond North America for the most part in comparison to how well known many of the brands are here. And it's tough to compete on a brand level to introduce brands internationally in consumer staples because when you think about what you buy. And what you own, there are probably a lot of brands that are the same ones that were served to you as a kid, and that's true in Europe. And it's hard to get people to uh, change their brand loyalty uh, and to just start buying, you know, different packaged marshmallows or uh, you know peanut butter. Peanut butter is a very, uh, you know, oh yeah, that's a very sticky. <sighs> I expect that from Simon Erickson. <laughs> I don't expect puns from you. Um, <laughs> that was it. Uh, you know, my daughter is really into puns. Is she? Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. She's That's like a savant. Well, <laughs> she's she's. I I would put her up against Rick Muneras. Really. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think she would lose. I would think she would lose, but I wouldn't know who else to go with. Yeah, I mean, Rick, our colleague Rick Muneras, who for anyone who is. Um, uh, uh, a member of our Rule Breakers service or Supernova, or r- reads his articles on Fool.com. We've known Rick for 20 years. Ever had him on the show? Um, I, I think one time years ago he was in town, because he lives in Miami. So he, mm-hmm. he uh, uh, But every once in a while he'll come up to Fool HQ. So I think once upon a time we had him on. Um, and we've known Rick a long time. Great, great guy. Very smart guy. Um, Hardest working man in the uh Certainly. America. Well, and as you said, master class punner. Is it a punner? Punnist? Whatever. Savant. Pun savant. He's a pun savant. He's above punner. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a seventh level black belt with puns. <laughs> um, you, you wanted to touch on Oil Dry, which is a, a company I had never heard of, but I'm intrigued by because of their website. This is uh, a company that has four divisions, um, pet care, industrial purification, and agriculture slash sports. They, they make kitty litter. They make uh, artificial turf, that sort of thing. And I love their tagline, which is creating value from sorbent minerals. 
which had me clicking over to dictionary.com just to confirm what sorbent meant. Yeah, this is a company that's only on my radar because many years ago, more than a decade ago, uh, I was working on a publication for Hidden Gems, and it was called Rising Stars. It was a one-off um, product, and it, it had six companies in it, one of which was uh, Smuckers, and another of which was Oil Dry, and Oil Dry was one of the two sort of micro-caps, or, or um, yeah, I think it was a micro-cap at the time. It hasn't grown it, much bigger. It's uh, I mean, $270 million. That's, that's basically micro-cap territory. Yeah, and not micro cap. That's that's I would say small cap. It's small cap, and it was a little smaller ten years ago. Although, yeah, a lot of what it does is pays out in dividends, and so it's throwing out a two to three percent dividend to yield and buying back a few shares. But on the whole, it does okay over the last fifteen years. And as we say, this is mostly kitty litter, kitty litter and clay, uh, industrial uses for clay. Uh, the absorbent stuff you'd see, you know, baseball fields when it when it rains and they, they go and spread stuff around after a rain delay to sort of uh, get the base paths drier, and uh, not even the not even your premium brand kitty litters, so they're very uh, you know sort of generic and private label stuff. Uh, but this has made thirteen percent a year for the last fifteen years, so you don't need to own great tech stocks or, or things that, <laughs> to make a lot of money. Boring uh, can be beautiful. This is pretty boring, but it's beaten the market by 5% a year over the last 15 years and a little bit less over the last 5 and 10 years, but it's still a market beater. And it's not that much bigger because it's just spinning. It's not trying to become uh, much of an empire. It's it's paying back a lot of, a lot of um, its profits and dividends. There's not a hugely growing market for clay and kitty litter, uh, although there are some innovations in kitty litter over the last 15 years. Really? Yeah. Such as? Uh, a clumping. Clumping? Clumping, one of the big innovations in kitty litter. I'll take your word for There's it. There's lighter weight kitty litter now, uh, that so that if you, instead of buying like a 40 pound bag, which some consumers don't want. They put it in want, a 20 pound bag? It, they, they sell for more money, less uh, kitty litter, but it's lighter to carry. Which is not a bad business model. I was going to say that sounds like a scam. <laughs> yeah, it, I, and believe me, I'm not happy when uh, that's the kitty litter that is brought home, uh, <laughs> because I, it's way more expensive. Uh, but you're paying for the convenience of how light it is. Wow, have you ever thought about just ordering it on Amazon and, and leaving <laughs> it to some strong person to deliver that box to your front door? Because I'm, I'm, no, I, I haven't been, I haven't looked on Amazon, but I bet they sell kitty litter. Yeah, and I come home with like the sixty-pound bags, and then that's not very helpful. Uh, <laughs> I can't help you with that. It's one of the many things that goes wrong when I'm allowed to go to the grocery store. And uh, so, oil dry is still getting it done, up four percent today on uh, a decent, decent little report. But they're they're got very, very different model from uh, Smuckers, and whereas Smuckers is finding that brands, strong as they are, are not getting stronger as time goes by, they're operating from the, the generic side. I mean, they do have Johnny Cat as one of their brands. That's a brand of kitty litter? Uh, yeah, not, not a super deluxe brand, but it's a little bit of a brand. Have you ever thought about naming any of your cats Johnny? No. Okay. No. <laughs> 
I think we're done now. Okay. <laughs> That's probably enough. I think, and on kitty litter. Because if we go much longer, we're going to talk about Comey. And we said right at the top, this is a Comey-free episode. That was a promise. That was you a like prom- to promise things. That. You know what? We shared that little nugget about the Pillsbury Doughboy. So there you go. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm still marveling over the the conversation that took place at General Mills. And it's like, well, we got to, we... We got to spin off some brands. I know. Let's let's spin off some of the Pillsbury Doughboy brands. Not all of them. Let's keep the ones that we, we think are the most. Keep valuable. as many as we can. No, they had. I can't remember who they acquired. I'm sure if you go to the Wikipedia page for Pillsbury, you can figure it out. Um, I think they had to spin off like the the cake mixes and things like that, uh, and got to hold on to um, like the frozen stuff. I, I don't know. Nobody nobody cares. Nobody cares about. Nobody's when, still listening when, at this when, point. Oh, next time I'm buying Pillsbury products, I'll check whether it says Smuckers or General Mills on it, and then I'll make my decision whether to purchase or not based on that. Because <laughs> I don't want to be associated with those clowns at General Mills <laughs> who passed on the Ghostbusters deal. <laughs> you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. Go to FoolFunds.com. Sign up for declarations. It's the free monthly newsletter. And the next issue may include uh, a little name drop of the Pillsbury Doughboy. No promises, though. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.